today we are continuing our series called On Mission, and we have been talking about your story or your testimony. Uh, and today we're, the title of the message is Even If. You know, uh, we're going to be looking at John 9, and it's a very different kind of testimony sharing than last week. You know, last week we talked about the woman at the well. She goes and she shares her testimony, and everybody gets saved. Everybody. I mean, like, it says the whole town comes to know Jesus. It's an incredible story of the power of sharing your story. Now, we have a very different type of situation this time. Uh, When we're going to be reading in in John chapter 9, and uh, no one gets saved. No one gets saved. So... It's important, though, that we have an understanding of what it's like to share our testimony. In the the greatness, we get to praise God of everybody coming to know him and the greatness of being able to praise him even when nobody comes to know him and what we learn from that. And so uh, we are going to be reading basically the entire chapter of John 9. Uh, and as we're going through, kind of like we did last week, you're going to get the Justin Matera commentary this week. I'm not going to just read through the whole passage. We'll read through it little by little together. And uh, you'll get the special pastoral commentary as we read together. Um, part ghetto, part refined. You know, it depends on what's happening. So you can read with me on the screen, starting in chapter 9, verse 1. Says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We're going to stop there for a second. So, back in the day, uh, they believed that if you had a sickness or an ailment, uh, if you were born with something or something came upon you, that was a signal of sinfulness in your life. If you have received blessing in the in the form of material things like land and prosperity, that was a signal to them of God's blessing in your life, that you are not sinning. And we see the disciples constantly get confused by this throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, as they meet people that are sick um, and they think about it one way, and it's like, nope, this, this, there, there's another way to think about this. They meet people who are rich, and they think about it one way, and Jesus says, nope, there's a, another way to think about this. And so we're going through the process with the disciples of learning this new way, this new covenant that Jesus is creating. So in verse 3, it says, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he, sent, so he went and washed and came back seeing. We're going to stop there again. And so what's interesting here is Jesus doesn't discount the theory of the disciples. He doesn't say whether they're wrong or right. He just redirects it, which he constantly does. If you uh, read a lot of what Jesus' conversations with people in the Gospels, people are always asking him questions, and he never answers the question. He, a lot of times, just redirects it to something else. And this time he says, listen, Don't worry about that. It's not about this man sinning or his parents sinning. It's about the glory of God being shown. And then he goes into dialogue, which basically is 
saying that all of this is in the control of God. And that's all you need to worry about. This is all in God's hands. And so right after he says that, you know, he spits in the mud. If, uh, if anybody needs to receive healing today, this is, this is my method of healing for you today. So you may want to wait till next week if you want to be healed. So he spits, and I'm sure we're in New York. I can find some dirt somewhere. Made some mud. He puts it on the guy's eyes, and then he tells him, go, go and wash in this pool. So the guy, he goes and washes. And what happens? He sees. He gets to see. This is an amazing miracle that just happens. You would think that people would just be parading in the streets like, wow, can you believe this blind man sees? That's not actually what happens. So we go through several different responses that people have in this story. And it's really interesting to read how people are responding to what Jesus has done and to this man's testimony of what Jesus has done in his life. So the first people that we get to look at that responded to this story are his neighbors. These are people that have known this guy his entire life. They've seen him born blind. They know his parents. They know everything. And this is their reaction starting in verse 8. It says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? Right? They've they've known this guy has been blind his whole life. They see him seeing, and so they're having a hard time believing. How is it that you are the same person that we've known, but yet now you see? He answered, right? He didn't have sunglasses his whole life to kind of pretend that he was blind. He, they knew this dude was blind. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So, you know, the neighbors are freaking out. You know, they're like, Is this the guy? I've seen him. You've seen him. You know, like, you ever have somebody that you haven't seen in a long time, and then you see them, and it's just like, whoa. And you're just like, yo, son, this guy is, what happened? You know, like, maybe somebody gets really pretty, you know, from last time you met them, or they get really in shape, you know? They get, you know, they get married, and someone styles them, so they don't look like a bum anymore. That's my testimony. (laughs) If you don't like my clothes, blame Heather and my older sister, Becky. They dress me, everything, head to toe. Right? They look at them, and they're, they're just kind of blown away. What is, what is, is this really the guy? Is this him? We've known him since he was, he was born. He's a beggar. We've seen him every day. He has been blind, yet now he is seen. And so the, the neighbors, in there freaking out, right? They, they just kind of don't believe. They don't believe this is him. They don't think this is really him, and... You know, again, we keep talking about as much as we want to hate on these people for not believing, you know, imagine that you've known somebody blind their whole life and then one day they come up to you and you're like, hello, you know, eyes wide like I see you. And you're just like, who are you? You know, like, what is going on? You're going to, your first reaction most likely will be disbelief in what you are seeing. And so because it's just kind of blowing their mind, They bring this guy to the Pharisees, and this is the second response that we get. The Pharisees, the religious 
elite, they were one of three main religious parties in Jewish culture at that time. And what they prided themselves in is following the law. They knew the law by heart. They were righteous in their own respect. They knew the law. They knew how to follow it. And so if anybody was going to know what to do with this blind man, if it was really true what was happening, the neighbors thought, right, let's bring him to the Pharisees. Let's see what they say. Is this really true? And so in verse 3, uh, sorry, in verse 13, it says, they brought him, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, this is interesting. Listen to this dialogue and reaction that the Pharisees have. It says, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So you got to remember the Sabbath day, if you know about the Hasidic community in Borough Park, what happens? The alarm goes off on Friday afternoon. If you've ever been around there, you hear it. And that means in a half an hour, the sun is going to set, which means all the Hasidic people need to get inside. They need to make sure they got everything wrapped up for the Sabbath, because over the next 24 hours, they are not allowed to cook. They're not allowed to turn the lights on and off. They're not allowed to do any form of work. They can't drive. They, they can't do anything. They can't use any materials. And so the Sabbath is really important in Jewish culture. And so what happens here is uh, the... Jesus does this miracle on the Sabbath, which in a crazy way can be considered work. And this is partly why there is about to be a controversy. And so we see in verse 15, it says, so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Right. So this guy, this is the second time he's just explaining what happened. I was like, the guy put mud in my eyes, I went, I took a bath, and now I'm seeing. Like, I don't understand what's so hard to get. Why do you keep on making me repeat this story? And so some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, you got to understand, this is, this is crazy, right? The Pharisees look at a miracle that just happened. They, see, they hear this testimony from the God, and they're focused on their understanding of the Sabbath and saying that this Jesus is considered a lawbreaker. Now, in their eyes, I don't care if he healed somebody. I don't care if there was some great miracle. He broke the law. He cannot be from God. But what's even more interesting, and nowhere in the Bible does it say that you cannot heal somebody on the Sabbath. See, what happened was they took their interpretation of the law and they made man's laws and they put those laws above God's laws. And they said, we know God said this, you know, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy and you need to rest. And they said, well, these are 5,000 things now that you cannot do on the Sabbath. And that was man's law. And if you broke man's law, that was more important than if you broke God's law. So Jesus obviously was not breaking God's law here. And so others of the Pharisees said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs, right? Some people have some sense in them thinking, I don't know, this doesn't make sense. He just performed this great miracle. How is it possible that he could do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet, right? So they they go to the guy again. All right. We, we can't come to a conclusion. What, do you, what are you saying about this guy again? What do you think? What, you, you talked with him. He healed you. What's your, what's your feel? What's your, what's your feel on him? The guy goes, he's a prophet, right? In, in Jewish culture, prophet was top of the line. You cannot be closer to God than if you were a prophet, right? The prophets were Moses 
Abraham, Elijah, like these were the greatest people of God in the Old Testament. They were prophets. And so this guy says, he's a prophet. And so it's what the Pharisees do next then is they can't make up their mind. They don't really like this answer that the guy gives him. And so they call in a third party. They call in the guy's parents, right? And so here, here is how not to parent. This is what we're going to learn in a minute. In verse 18, it says, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight, right? He says three times, this is what happened. Nobody believes him. Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked the parents, is this your son who you say that was born blind? How then does he now see? So they asked the parents, is this really him? Like, all right, we trust you. Is this the guy? His parents answered, we know that this is our son. I just, I love this answer. It's amazing. <laughs> like, these are the facts, guys. We know that, yeah, I, I gave birth to him. This, this is him. This is my, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. This is what we know. But, right, anything before the but just doesn't matter. Like, it, it, is, it doesn't matter. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age, and he will speak for himself. And then uh, John puts in a little uh, parenthetical thought here in verse 22 to kind of explain what the parents are doing. It says, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. His parents just completely hung him out to dry, basically, is what is happening. They're like, listen, I know this is our kid. You know, I know he was born blind. Outside of any of that, just leave me alone. I don't, I, you know, go ask him. He can do it. Why? Because they were afraid. This guy right here who had been testifying of Jesus, what he was doing in his testimony was he was actually putting his entire social structure on the line. The parents knew that. That if they testified and said, yes, it was Jesus who did this, they would then be agreeing with their son saying, yes, this is a prophet. They would then be confessing Jesus Christ and what he was saying. And if they did that, they knew the social consequences of that. If they were put out of the synagogue, they were basically excommunicated from their entire community. They were then would be seen as unclean. They wouldn't be able to shop in the places that they shop. They wouldn't be around the family that they would see. They wouldn't be around uh, the, the people that they love. They wouldn't be around their social community, right? This was a total shunning that they were about to experience. And so because of that, what do they do? They're like... I know we raised you, and I know we're your parents, but this is your problem. Like, don't come to us. Don't ask us. Like, just, he's an adult. He is responsible for his own decisions, you know? It's like, if, if you have a, a troubled child and the police have ever knocked on your door, it's just like, up. Oh, I don't know. I'll, I'm going to get him, though, and you're going to ask him, you know? Like, this is all you now. This is your responsibility, and so the Pharisees then, they, they hear the parents' response, and then they respond again. This is their second response now. They're, they're getting more of the witness, more of the testimony, it says in verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So they say, give glory to God. Stop giving glory to Jesus, right? Jesus 
had said multiple times, though, that if you do not recognize who I am, then you cannot recognize who the Father is. So they are trying to get him to split his opinion, because if he didn't recognize Jesus, then in Jesus' mind, then he no longer was recognizing God. But to the Pharisees, rejecting Jesus meant recognizing God. And this is why Jesus kept, keeps saying to them, you don't know God. You don't know who the Father is. Because of your rejection of me, you do not know the Father. Because if you knew the Father, you would accept me. And so, they tell him, you have to reject Jesus and say this is God. And this is what this man says. He says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. I do know this, though. That I was blind, and now I see And so they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them. I mean, at this point, like my Brooklyn's coming out and I'm just like, son, you know, (laughs) so one of my friends in high school, this is like a sad but funny story. Uh, He was getting robbed, right? We, I went to Brooklyn Tech and back then Fort Greene was not a good neighborhood. And so he was, he was walking home, he was playing ball, and a group of people surround him while he's playing basketball. He realized his friends were gone. Uh, and so they, you know, he has his clothes, changed shoes, and the first thing, they like, yo, run your wallet. Right? That means hand over your wallet, you're about to be robbed. <laughs> so he's like, okay. He takes out his wallet, gives it to him, like, run your chain. He takes off his chain, run your sneakers. It's like, you know, he's getting annoyed at this point. What are you talking about, Run your shirt. And that was like, come on, guys, are you serious? Why do you, why do you keep saying this? And then they knocked him out and took everything from him. And this is basically how I see this guy coming. Like my friend came into school the next day and he was like, listen, they kept saying this thing over and over again. And at some point, you just get annoyed no matter what the danger is around you. Why do I have to keep repeating this action? And this is how the blind man, thankfully, he was okay. Like he got. His parents got him his stuff back and all of that. Everything turned out well. Uh, but we get to see what happens to this guy now. And they said to him, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? And he says, I have told you already. And you would not listen. Right? I'm throwing some accent on this. Why do you want to hear it again? And this is great. Then he takes a shot at them. This is why I really like this. Do you also want to become his disciples? Like, are you so interested in this guy that you just can't wait to be one of his disciples? Like, he knows that they don't want to be a disciple. He knows that he's about to be excommunicated. But he gets annoyed at their constant questioning. So he starts taking shots, and that's why I love him. And what happened? What, when he says this, it says, and they reviled him. They get mad. They get angry. And they say, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. This is like them with a comeback, taking shots right now. I know it doesn't seem like that, but they're coming at him right now. Like, this is serious business. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And so this guy's getting amped up. He's like, all right, guys, you coming at me? Let's go. Let's do this. And he answers and he says, whoa, well, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Wow. You guys are just batting 100 today. We know that God does not listen to sinners, he says, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Never since the world has began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I love this. I love this response. Because it's a complete reversal. It's what Jesus talks about all the time. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Here are the religious elite. They hear the testimony of God coming from this man and they refuse to believe it. And you would think they know what this man is saying to them. That they know that throughout all of scripture, no one has been able to perform miracles like this. No one has done the signs and wonders this man is doing. And yet they still question whether he is a sinner or not. And he, to him, it's just a logical thing. How do you guys not get this yet? How do you guys not see this? I, am, I, am, I was born blind. I have, he has no religious education. He was a beggar, yet he can see the hour of the Messiah. And here are these religious rulers that cannot. And so they, you ever get somebody so worked up in a conversation, it's just like, they're like, well, you're dumb, you know? And that's their response. And then they walk away. And that's what the Pharisees do at this point. It says they answered him, well, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And then they took him and they threw him out. Right? They're like, well, guess what? We have the power here. So shut up. Nobody likes you anyway. Get out. And this is how they respond. And here's his story. Like, man, I'm, I'm going to keep sharing, right? He, he shares his testimony at least four times at this point. And every time he's, he shares it, he's digging himself deeper and deeper in the hole. But what I love about this guy is even if he's going to get cast out, even if he's going to get cast out or, 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 or thrown away or... Even if no one is going to like him, even if he's going to be excommunicated, he still shares the story. All right, his parents knew what was going to happen. His neighbors knew what was on the line. The Pharisees understood what was happening. But this man, even though all of that was on the line, continues to share Jesus. And so Jesus kind of comes back, reemerges in the story in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, right, word spreads you keep hearing about, like, everybody's been gossiping since the beginning of time, right? Jesus hears what's going on. He shows up on the scene, and he asks the guy after all this. He's been cast out. He's been ostracized. He's been basically cursed at. And Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. I love this. Here's this man. He shares his story. He is ostracized. He is persecuted. He suffers for the name of Jesus and his testimony of Jesus. And then Jesus comes and basically is asking him, do you, do you still believe in me? He says, yeah, I believe in you. And then he worships him. And then Jesus, he says this. He says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So Jesus is basically saying, I, I've come and I will do 
the judging. I, I think what the blind man right now listening to this will have some comfort knowing that it's not his job to judge the Pharisees. It's not his job to judge what they did as right or wrong, but Jesus is now comforting him, saying, it, it is my job, and I, I will judge. And guess what? You were born blind, and you were blind your whole life, and you are the one who sees. Yet these people who have seen, who have had sight their whole life, they are actually the blind ones. They're the ones that are not seeing right there. The kingdom of God is constantly a kingdom of reversal. We're the ones who always find privilege, privilege and status and on the top, she's saying, no, actually, it's, it's the, the sinner I've come for. It's, it's, I've come to proclaim the good news to the poor. I've come to set liberty to the captives. And unless you see yourself as poor in spirit, as captive in your heart and in your soul, then you cannot receive the message of Jesus and testify about his goodness. But I, what I really love about this guy is how many levels of rejection he goes through, right? First, he's rejected by his neighbors. Then he's rejected by the religious rulers. Then he's hung out to dry by his parents. And then again is rejected by the religious rulers and then physically rejected by being thrown out of the synagogue. And if we look at last week's testimony and we look at this week's, how we kind of looked at in the beginning, we see two very different narratives, this lady, the Samaritan woman, went to everybody, told her story to a, a town of Samaritans, the, what Jewish people considered all sinners, and they all come to receive Jesus. Yet here is this man who goes and tells his story to his neighbors, his family, and to the rulers, and he is rejected at every single point. And what we need to understand from this then is there are several outcomes that can happen if we tell our story. But just because there are a lot of outcomes doesn't mean that we shouldn't tell our story because we fear one outcome over the other. What, what is great about this blind man is he never changes his story. Right? I, I've... See, my in my life, many times, like, if you're, at, if you're giving a story and then someone questions the story, it makes you rethink what you said, right? And then maybe you change a few details to make it more palpable to everybody else. And then you, maybe you share a story again to another crowd, and then you get a little more questions that are like, oh, maybe that wasn't right. Maybe I've been misremembering. Every single time this guy comes back, doesn't matter what level of rejection that he has, no matter what level of fear he should have had of man, he keeps on coming back to the same story. This is the man, this is what he did, and this is what has happened. How how can you say anything different than he is one sent from God? I think of how many times I was sure God did something in my life and then someone said, oh yeah, you're just lucky. Or you're just really smart. That's why that happened. That's why you got that promotion. You know, you had all the right ingredients. Everything was working together. That's why that happened. And then I, I start to believe that. Oh, you know, I am actually pretty smart. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why I had uh, that kind of success. Oh, you know, it probably was just a coincidence. Even though I prayed for this to happen the day before and then it happened, you know, right after. Maybe it was a coincidence, you know, even though I've, that's happened like a hundred times in my life, right? These are the things, but what happens is a lot of times we start to forget the testimony and the denial of others. 
Because they don't believe, their unbelief begins to run off on us. And then we start to disbelieve the very things that God has done in our life. You know, that guy could have said, maybe that mud, you know, did something. Or maybe that pool, there, there, there was some kind of healing agent, and when I went in there, maybe it wasn't really Jesus. He could have had excuses. He, he could have looked at the Pharisees and said, you know what, what, what is more important to me? Now that I can see, I, I can be a part of society for the first time in my life in a real way. I can, I can finally contribute in a way that is different from the way that I have been doing as a beggar. Now I can, I can do things that they wouldn't allow me to do in the past. This was his first chance to be a normal part of society. And he could have just backed away and said, maybe it's not so important that I honor Jesus and what he did. You know, there's one story about just this church that is funny is you would think that when you, I, I share the story of our church with people that when I say, when they ask me the question, how did that happen? And, you know, my answer is pretty easy. It was God. You know, like, basically, if you are, if you start a church, it's just like starting a, a business. Within uh, one year, 80% of church plans fail. Within five years, uh, over 90% of church plans fail. Right? Yet we have seen our community thrive. And so when I go and I tell this story to other people, to other pastors, to other people that work in church planning, you would think there would be when I said, man, it's just been God's favor. God has done amazing stuff. Like we, we've just been faithful to what he's told us to do, but he has done so much more than we thought, expected, imagined. Right? This is... This is, let's, let's honor God together right now, pastor or friend. Let's do this. And then the question is, yeah, 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 I understand that. But tell me what you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it that God does that cool stuff. But tell me what, what, tell me what really happened. And it's like, Bobby, no. <laughs> this was God. I'm not just, uh, there's no false humility here. Like, I could not have orchestrated this to happen. And it's just interesting because we're, I'm speaking with, with other pastors who are like, hey, you should, you should get this. And like, there's times, where, and, and I listen to them, and then, you know, the thought, maybe, you know, maybe I should write a book about how great, you know, we are. <laughs> maybe I should write a blog post about the 15 strategies of success in church planting. What if, what if we did this? Maybe if we got some more accolades. Like, if we think that it's not a temptation for us to start altering the story and taking the glory for ourselves, then we're wrong. See, when we have a story of what God has done in our life, what's going to happen is we're going to have a temptation to say, look at what I have done. Or look at what luck has done. Or look at what coincidence has done. Look at what I have put my hands to work at. But this man instead stays true to what Jesus has done, no matter the consequences. Jesus promised his disciples that it was going to be hard. In John 17, verse 31 to 33, he says, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, 
I have overcome the world. Jesus promises his disciples two things as they are about to become his witnesses to all the world. This is the night before he was betrayed, John 17. He says, you are going to experience rejection or tribulation, but also take heart that I have overcome the world. In 1 Peter 4.12, verses 12 to 16, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Right? We saw the glory of the woman who shared her story and all the people come to Christ. But we also need to realize that there is glory to be had when we share our story and other people reject it. And we have tribulation and we experience suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we don't like to talk about the glory and suffering for Jesus. But here it is. I think of the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He gets up and he begins to testify about Jesus and what he has done. And the people get so angry at him that they take him outside of the city and they begin to stone him to death. And right before he is stoned to death, he looks up into heaven and he sees heaven open and he sees the glory of God in front of his face. And he praises God in that moment, in his last moments before he dies. And a lot of us want the glory that Stephen saw that day without the suffering that he endured to see it. Be prepared when you share your testimony, your story, you may be rejected. But when you suffer because of his name's sake, you enter into his glory in ways that nothing else can bring you there. Like the blind man, we cannot fear suffering and persecution and rejection. His parents feared it and they remained silent. He spoke and he was kicked out of the temple. The rejection, I dare say, should actually be a motivator to experience the glory of God. Right? Peter says, when you are rejected, when you suffer for the name of Jesus, you experience his glory. You know, some people be like, oh, I'm, I'm suffering as a Christian. And really, they're just like, they're getting fired because they're bad at their job. And, and Peter says, that's not the kind of suffering I'm talking about. Like, if you are suffering because you're a liar, you're a cheat, you're a stealer, and you're like, oh, I'm a Christian, and they're suffering. No. But if you are suffering for Christ's name's sake, then you will experience the glory of God in ways that nothing else can show you. whether it's a neighbor, whether it's the elite of society, whether it's your family, it is all worth the crown of glory that awaits us. You know, when we try not to, when we don't share our testimony and our story because we're afraid, what if the person rejects me? Realize rejection is part of the Christian life. Jesus says, you will experience tribulation. That is part of being my disciple. 
But what we're really scared of is we're scared of people and we put the fear of man above the lordship of Christ in our life. And we have to remember something when we do that, that people's praise is fickle. You can get it and you can lose it just as fast, but the praise and the glory of God, it lasts for eternity. And when you are rejected for his name's sake, what you are seeing is a praise and glory that you will take with you into eternity, that will last with you forever. And the true fact is this, that we will never be a witnessing church unless we are a suffering church. Unless we are a church that knows how to deal with suffering and with pain and sees the glory of God as greater than any pain and any suffering that we can experience here on earth, then we will never be truly a witnessing church. Because all throughout scripture and all throughout church history is what you've seen is when people witness because of the name of Jesus, they have received persecution and they have received suffering. And in Western culture today, that is bad. That is a no-no. We live for the pursuit of happiness and comfort. But do we bear the cross of Jesus with him? And I may know him and the power of his resurrection, right? Philippians 3.10, a lot of us stop there, but Paul keeps going, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Because when we suffer like Jesus, we get to know more of Jesus. And that's just the way it is. So next time, instead of getting upset when someone rejects us or wondering, man, what are they going to say if I share with them this personal thing, if I share with them what God has done, instead of getting sad or, or clamming up and getting fearful, what we should do is say, God, I pray that I get to participate in your glory in ways that I have never imagined. Father, that I would be someone that cares more about your name and your reputation and your kingdom than my name and my reputation and my thing. For me, I'm selfish. I want to experience the glory of God. And I know I will not experience the glory of God if I put fear of people in front of the Lordship of Christ in my life. So my call to us today, my prayer to us today is that, Father, that you would teach us the value of your glory above everyone else's opinions. Father, that we would be like that man who after he was rejected, after he was thrown out, after his neighbors said no to him, his family hung him out to dry, after the elite pushed him away, that you said, do you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped you. That we would be like Stephen and that we would even be able to lay down our life for the mission to go forward. Why don't you stand with me?